Hi there, project leaders, and welcome back to the Project Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Glatz. So recently, I was a guest on another podcast that's entitled On Another Track with David Wilson. And so I thought it would be fun to share a copy of that interview with you so that you can learn a little bit more about me and ProCollab Consulting, my business, and what I do. So what I've done is I've split that interview over two episodes, so uh, the first part in this one, and then I will publish the second half of the interview in the next episode as well so that you can catch the full thing in two pieces. So let me cue up the theme song for the Project Leader podcast, and then I will share with you part one of my interview with David Wilson. We have all felt the pain the frustration and the disappointment of a troubled or failed project at some point, either professionally or personally. So here's the big question. How are project professionals like us, who are eager, driven, and passionate about seeing our team succeed, how do we become true project leaders who consistently deliver successful projects that change the world? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jennifer Glatz, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the Project Leader Podcast. This is David Wilson, and welcome to Episode 6 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. So did Biden win the US elections this week fair and square? What will Trump do in his retirement from the White House? The vaccine has finally arrived, but how do we go about immunising the world's 7.7 billion people? These are the thoughts we ponder in this rich and varied world in which we live in. On Another Track is talking to people that we can't meet with face-to-face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. And it's funny, you know, I think a lot of the people that I've reached out to have been the people that I worked with in the contract furniture industry. But that's the joy of networking, right? You never know what, like down the road, what's going to happen or how you reconnect with people. So that's part of the fun. That's the voice of Jennifer Glatz of Pro Collab Consulting. She discovers your superpowers and strengths to help you get that project management job you've always dreamed of. Alternatively, she reframes things and gets you onto that journey, pivoting to a new career in another industry. Who wouldn't want the help of these trying times? I first wanted to ask Jennifer about her business, Pro Collab Consulting. And what does the name mean? I specialize in project management career coaching. So in a nutshell, what I do is I help aspiring and practicing project managers to not only navigate their own careers and to get to that next level, but also help them to deliver successful projects. So what I specialize in is customized one-on-one coaching 
to help project managers succeed in their careers. How the heck did you ever get into all this? Because, you know, that's a very specific area, isn't it? It's something you it kind of, I suppose, when you're 12 and you're just going into junior high school, did you ever imagine you're going to be a project manager or, a, you know, like a coach in project management? Do you want the, the long version or the short version? <laughs> I always like the long versions because I always like to get the nitty gritty details. So go ahead. It wasn't a linear journey, that's for sure. Uh, when I was a kid, I I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I excelled in the sciences, but I also enjoyed the thought of teaching others. And I really didn't know, I didn't discover how to put those two things together until much later. And when I was in high school, I was receiving some scholarships and that kind of forced me to do a little bit of research about what options are available. And one of the scholarships that was offered to me was actually engineering. I had never considered that before, but I thought, well, you know, if there's money, let's, let's dive in, let's kind of research this and figure out what it's all about. So I, what, what I ended up doing was there was a professor at the university here in Edmonton who had worked for NASA for seven years. And that just, it blew my mind. And so I wanted to have a conversation with him and in a nutshell, he just he told me all the wonderful things about engineering and you know what you can do and, and all the potential there. So that got me interested and I ended up um, jumping into mechanical engineering here in Edmonton. So that's my my background, my degree. When I was in school, I found myself gravitating towards coordinating events and herding cats for the lack of a better word. <laughs> Um, just making sure things were done kind of timely and in the right way. And so that really opened my mind up to the start of project management. That's really interesting, isn't it? How those two came together, because often as not in, 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 a, in a life that we lead, there's often different avenues that you go along. But where it really gets successful is when you bring two distinct lines that we may be beyond, you know, two separate roads. And we bring them together, you know, at the next Y junction. And it's amazing the energy, isn't it, that you can focus on to actually, well, what you've done is created a business from that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I started off my career on the technical side in engineering um, in pipelines, of course, being in Alberta here. <laughs> um, and I spent quite a few years in oil and gas. And I quickly moved from the technical into a project engineer role, which is kind of like a coordinator type position, but you're diving more into the technical details of the project while still coordinating all the disciplines. And I did that for quite a while. And so that kind of led me down the track of, of project management. And I, I moved up into a project manager role from there and got to travel the world and work on projects in many different corners. I did a couple of years in Houston and a couple of years in the Netherlands. So that's been really exciting. But you know, David, honestly, the, the one thing that really stood out throughout my career is although I had really fantastic mentors and I was really lucky and, and I'm grateful for that, I often felt like I was thrown into the pool to kind of figure things out on my own as I went. And in speaking with other project professionals, you know, there were a lot of people who felt that way too. And so that was kind of the seed that was planted for this consulting firm is I don't believe it should be that way. I think that project management is such a difficult career choice. There's a lot of stress, a lot of demand, and people should feel supported and, and get the resources that they need. So 
that was the seed to start this consulting firm and, and really work with people and, and help people feel like they're not alone in this world of projects. That's a really interesting point you talk about. And I want to come back to that later, maybe dive into that a little bit deeper, you know, where, you know, as, as sort of technical people, we always get thrown in the deep end and it's a sink and swim scenario. But before we do that, I want to roll the years back and get a little bit of background to about you, because was there somebody who inspired you within your family? I mean, do you come from a, a family of long line of technical people or engineering people? Or were you just the kind of the black cat, the separate one that went off and that kind of, you know, that tangent? So my my mother was actually uh, a nurse. And she ended up working on her her PhD before she passed. She didn't get a chance to finish, but the stories that I hear from other nurses at the university that she worked, she was a director and and an inspiration. And the stories that I've heard about her is that she was really, really smart and really, really genuine and wanted the best for people. I did not want to go the medical route. I cannot handle the sight of blood. <laughs> so me that too, was not the choice for me. <laughs> My dad ended up doing a a combined degree in sociology and criminology, which was interesting. So he was on that intellectual side. He worked for WCB for quite a few years, and he did go back to school later on in life for civil engineering degree. So I suppose there's a little bit of civil engineering maybe in my blood, but I really didn't have anyone who who shuffled me towards engineering. My dad was quite supportive. He said, you know, Jennifer, whatever you want to do, I support you. So just explore, find something you love and do it. <laughs> so I just kind of stumbled along the way. And, and, you know, thankfully through those scholarships, that kind of led the path for me. That's nice to hear that he just gave you that support and you had a chance to go where you wanted to go. And actually, I just want to clarify some things for listeners uh, around the world who don't know Alberta. WCB stands for Workers' Compensation Board. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, that's right. So basically then you had that lovely foundation. You had two very supportive parents. They came out of school and you did your degree where? You went to the U of A, did you say? I did, yes. Mm -hmm. And what did you specialize in again, just to remind us? Mechanical engineering. So what did you think when you first did mechanical engineering? Because I did mechanical production engineering. That was my first kind of job. Um, And it's not kind of um, shiny and exciting, is it necessarily? Or is it to you? I mean, because for me, it was very practical getting your hands dirty in making things and making things work. Um, but what was it for you? Did it still inspire you going in there and sort of going in that, that route? So the first year in engineering is, is general studies, and then you specialize in year two. In trying to make that selection, what I really enjoyed about mechanical was that you take a little bit of everything. And so you you dabble and you find what interests you. And I found that that was the specialization that I think was the most diverse. And because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I just thought it important to learn a little bit about everything and keep my options open. That was the school of thought behind that selection. Okay. And then did you find when you came out of university, was it easy to get a job? Was there full employment? The oil industry was going full tilt. You know, it wasn't a big issue. I mean, what what was the first job you did when you came out of university? It actually was not an easy thing. So when I graduated, I decided to travel first. So I actually went overseas for about four months. So I did Australia and and Southeast Asia for for a few months before coming back home. But it was actually quite difficult to find a job. The economy was, I think, ramping up. We hadn't quite hit the boom yet. It was just 
kind of on this low incline at that point. Um, but I ended up working for Atco Gas, which is a natural gas distribution company here in the city. And they let me take care of the northern half of Alberta. So from Edmonton all the way up to the northern border and helping customers to, to get gas either to their homes or to their their commercial buildings. So I started out doing natural gas distribution piping designs. I know that's a mouthful. Um, and then I moved into consulting. So working for the, the global engineering and construction company after that. Okay, I'm going to ask the usual controversial question as a lady in this industry, which is pretty much male dominated for a long time. And I know actually ladies are making a big impact now into the industry. How did you feel going in as a female into the industry? Was it was it quite challenging sometimes? Or was there a times when you think, no, I'm just as good as the guys and I can get the job done just as well. <laughs> oh, you went there, David. <laughs> I did. But you know, that's the whole that's the whole point, because I'm sure some people are loving to ask that question because it's always quite a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. And, and the honest thing, it was a bit of both. So I think there's still to this day a lot of challenge with with women in engineering. It's certainly getting better. But throughout the early years of my career, I definitely experienced a lot of um, how shall I put it? <laughs> Please get me a coffee. <laughs> oh, seriously. So that was still like prevalent. Yeah. Right? And I think, you know, you got to approach the situation with um, positivity and a little grain of salt. You know, um, when you're going into into the field and you're working with people who are a little bit rough around the edges, you know, they're used to the field and, and not a lot of women around. You need a sense of humor. That that would be probably the best advice that I can give. It's just, you know, they're going to tease you. They're going to um, play some pranks on you. So just laugh and have a good time. Um, don't take it too seriously because if you do, that'll just make life a little bit more difficult for you. So having that sense of humor definitely helped me to build those relationships and it got easier as the years went on because you find techniques that that work, but I still think that we have a long way to go to make it a little bit more equal. Yeah, and I think you're right there. And I think you really hit on a good point there, the sense of humor, because I don't think it's just maybe looking at the female male side of things. It could be that you're from a different country, a different background. And often it's not, you know, especially myself coming into Canada as an immigrant, you know, from from Europe and from the UK, um, there's different cultural things and you have to have a sense of humor. And I think that underlines everything. You know, don't take it too seriously. Don't take it to heart. Sometimes it can be hurtful. You know, if you've had a bad day, it can pile up on you. But the whole point is, if you're in those challenging situations, take a step back, grab a quick breath reapproach from a different angle is that is that really where you came from there that is that the sort of philosophy that you kind of used in those situations let me tell you a quick story because I, I just had one that that triggered my mind that was actually really quite funny <laughs> so I was working for um, a utility company and we were in the field taking apart this giant piece of equipment so I had a couple of technicians assigned to help me to take this thing apart our shift started really early it was a 6 a.m start 6 a.m is a little rough without coffee <laughs> and so we were on break we were sitting in the construction trailer and one of them actually took a quick photo of me looking a little bit sleepy drinking my coffee I guess behind the scenes before we got to the lunch break they were able to photoshop this picture of me and they put me behind bars and they put a warning sign below and said, warning, do not feed. <laughs> oh, so, <-M> yeah, <laughs> you know, they handed this to me at lunch and 
we had a good laugh and and that sort of made things a lot easier but but that's the point isn't it you you know it's about uh your perspective and how you receive that information is really kind of sets you up for success or failure doesn't it you know and uh you 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 saw the funny side and and some people wouldn't we have to respect that that some people are very sensitive to that but do you think that's something that is kind of helped you in setting up your business pro collab consulting i mean is that something that has got you through that kind of I know what you want to call it, that secret source, that, you know, little bit of energy that you think, okay, I'm going to direct that in a positive way. Do you think that helped? I think that the best part about it is I've got all these hilarious stories that I could tell my clients and, and, you know, people that I work with and it keeps the the coaching a little bit light. And the feedback that I got was, you know, tell, tell more stories because that just helps to reinforce the, the curriculum or the things, the concepts that we're talking about. So I think having a an inventory of all those stories definitely helps. So I want to just focus a little bit on the business. When did you actually start the business? When did it actually get underway? So it kicked off in uh, on November 1st, 2018. So it's been a couple of years. And I know one thing that's very close to your heart is networking, isn't it? That's something that I know we met through a networking group. Um, so how important is networking, do you think, in establishing a business and, and keeping it going? Oh, it's, it's absolutely critical. But not only starting a business, but also for project professionals. I think that's a really, really important thing that we need to focus on because you're not always going to have the answers, whether you're running projects or starting a business. So you need a, a support network around you that can help. You know, it's, it's not our job to know everything, but if you've got an expert in an area that may not be your strong suit, then you know exactly who to talk to, who to go to for that support. So networking has been instrumental in my career and, and building my business. And what I'm discovering is that there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. Tell me all about that, because that intrigues you. What's the right way? What's the wrong way? Actually, start with the wrong, start with the wrong way. Let's do the negative first, then follow up with the positive. How about that? So a couple of things that make me uncomfortable if we're talking about networking in person uh, first is what I call the business card shove. So just, you know, shaking hands, saying hello and shoving a business card, I really don't think is an effective way to network because you're not getting down to the genuine person, who they are, what their needs are, what excites them. So how do you form a connection and how do you build a relationship on just a transaction like that? So what I recommend for networking in person is have those genuine conversations. And I think that's why the, the group that we're in together, the genuine networkers, is such a lovely group to be a part of because we encourage those genuine conversations and, and building relationships before we really talk shop, talk business, right? Yeah, you know, that was really interesting you bring that up because the genuine networking group that we're in, I was so totally surprised. You know, I, I approached it with the thought, well, here's another networking group. We'll give it a go, but probably only go once or twice. And I was so surprised when uh, Thomas Lerman and Clarissa Lerman, uh, the people that actually organized the group, um, you know, the way that they kind of, I don't know, they, they set up the foundation in a really interesting way, whereas we're not going to network tonight. We're going to get to know each other and we're going to ask you some searching personal questions things that you've probably never had to think about before and that kind of blew me away I thought wow that's a bit of a different scenario so what was it that kept you coming back to the networking group what was the thing that clinched clinched it for you the genuine people that show up I mean the feeling that if you have a business question those people are, are truly willing to help you and they want to see you succeed so 
everyone that shows up isn't just there to further their own companies. I mean, although that's that's a thing in the back of our mind, I think a lot of them come to the events willing to help others and and put others first um, in that event. So I can just feel that that genuine help. And and that's an interesting point you make is you you can't really put kind of a number of value on that. There is a feeling. It's a gut feeling, isn't it? It kind of almost feeds the soul. I always use this in my podcast, but I'm very I'm very much about feeding the soul. And I often find that when I went to those events, you know, I'd get a question which would said, um, what, what's the most influential film or book that you've ever read? And I thought, God, nobody's ever asked me that before, you know? And I suddenly realized that the one that really made a big impact to me because of my father being in the military was Dunkirk. And it was one of the few movies that I've ever gone back to watch four times in a row. You know, like I, it just made such an impression on me because I felt as if I was in the movie. I was actually in the situation that my father had been in many, many years ago in active service, being shot at and having to take cover and protect himself. And it made me quite emotional thinking about it. And I thought, you know, that's the thing. The, the, the networking group got down to those raw emotions. And once you get down to the raw emotions with a group of people, it's actually easier to share other things, isn't it? Absolutely. And you're more willing to talk about the hard things in business and the hard things in your career and support each other emotionally too, which we often overlook, I think, in business. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, what's been the hardest thing for you in business? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good question. <sighs> I think for me, transitioning from a career professional uh, to entrepreneur is a major change in in life and attitude, mindset, habit. So the last couple of years have been serious growth. Although it's been really exciting, it's been really challenging. <laughs> um, so I've had to let go from some of my ideals that I had before. I mean, I was a very, very private person. I wasn't on Facebook. I barely posted on any social media. You wouldn't have found a single picture of me on the internet anywhere. <laughs> and so I've had to kind of let go of that secrecy and, and that privacy ideal to, to start to, to build relationships with my clients and kind of get myself out there. So the marketing side of it has been really challenging and getting over some of those mental and emotional roadblocks, I think. You know, thank you for being so honest about that because I can directly relate to that. I was a very private person before, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and what have you. And even when Facebook and LinkedIn started, I just didn't want to go on there because I just wanted to keep my things private and be professional and businesslike. And I suddenly realized, especially coming to North America and Canada, you can't be that way. You know, if you really want to get your your brand out there, your product or, you know, wh whatever you do in terms of an entrepreneur, you have to sell yourself in, in a way that's alien to you. You know, it doesn't feel comfortable. But how did you make the kind of mind shift? Because it takes a mind shift, doesn't it, from being that private person to over here being that more open, collaborative, you know, almost, it, it almost sounds self-promoting, but you, it's not so much that. It's more about getting on that train that's going to take you in the right direction, isn't it? How do you do that shift? Going back to networking, the biggest thing for me was finding mentors and people that I can look up to, to walk me through that journey. Um, so again, yeah, going back to networking, how, how important it really is. So I've been lucky to have found some world-renowned 
inspirational, just unbelievable people to help me understand why this is important to provide me the tactics on how to do it. And a couple of them have really provided tools from a mindset shift perspective. So everything from meditation to building your own affirmations recordings to how you start your day and what sort of habits that you have during the day. One of the biggest influencers on my habits has been Brennan Burchard. He's an author, entrepreneur and coach as well. He wrote the book High Performance Habits and that has changed the way that I run my day and you know, the things that I tell myself. So lots of reading mindset stuff. I mean, (laughs) I could go on for hours about this, but those are some of the highlights, right? That, that really find the people that inspire you, that can show you the way and explain to you why this whole thing is important. So you're going to have, I'm going to put a scenario to you because this is, this affects us all. And I know we've talked about this before. You start a Monday, you've got no appointments in your book. It's snowing or raining, depending where you are in the world out there. There are gray skies on the horizon. How do you get yourself into the right frame of mind and the mindset? Maybe using some of the people that you've read about or been to some of their, you know, um, presentations. What's, if, if we were going to give, say, a three point guide to starting your week what would you say to people listening how do you get yourself right in that right mindset the thing that has helped the most for me is reserving time in the calendar at the beginning of the day once you get through your daily morning routine is to sit down and spend 20 to 30 minutes visualizing your week all the important things visualizing what you want to accomplish and how you want to feel and how you can show up as your best self to approach the challenges that are coming. So plan out your week and then also plan out your day. So making a list of what are the top three or priorities that that you're going to focus on, um, being disciplined in, in keeping your schedule, making sure that you generate energy. So no sitting at the computer for five hours at a time. I know sometimes we can dive into a technical rabbit hole and <laughs> get distracted, but you got to You got to stand up. You got to move. You got to generate some energy and keep it up during the day. And that kind of ties back to the whole mindset thing. So So, you know, looking at your week, planning your day and and making sure that the habit and discipline that you have in place is going to serve you. That's really great, because one of the things I find is that uh, I get up on a regular time at a regular, you know, every day, 730. You know, I'm not an early riser by any means. I always try and get dressed, shaved, washed, whatever I do as a person for my start of the day. And if I'm going to have a business meeting, I put a business, you know, a nice business casual shirt on and pair of pants or something like that, you know, that are business-like, so I get in the right frame of mind. And do you find that's the same for, for you as well? You have to do those regular things to get in the right frame of mind, to set you up correctly. My habits are a little bit different, so it's more of making sure my my dog is taken care of, um, getting my, my lemon water and my cup of coffee, getting my workstation set up. So it's not necessarily for me to make the first priority kind of, you know, getting dressed and getting in the business attire. Um, that's certainly important if I've got a client or a Zoom call or I want to appear on video, of course. But yeah, that that's not necessarily the, the top priority. It's more of getting my fuel, getting my productivity beverage in front of me and just making sure that the things that that matter to me that weigh on my heart are taken care of first so that I can focus on my day. So making sure my my pup is taken care of is kind of the first thing that I think about, honestly, when I wake up. 
You know, I love the fact that you said as well, don't spend five hours at the computer, because I often find, you know, I get into something and I'm there for more than five hours sometimes, especially if I'm editing a podcast or something like that. How important is it to have those breaks and to actually get and get some fresh air in your lungs and, and change up your day? What what have you found that have been the benefits of that? Critical. Um, I find that I am tempted by the rabbit hole. And sometimes I, I catch myself with those five or six hours in front of the computer. But on those days, my energy level tanks quickly. Usually by four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm done. So if I don't focus on generating energy and taking those little micro breaks every single hour, then I know I'm going to peter out early. So I've got my my Fitbit reminder uh, set, you know, once an hour to, to just get up, move, walk around, take the dog for a walk, do what I need to do, dance in my living room if I need to put on some power music, right? You know, whatever you need to do. Um, and if I don't do that, then my my day suffers for sure. And also, do you think there's times during a week as an entrepreneur where you could have a day off or half a day and just go off and do something not completely related to work? You know, because I always feel guilty about it. I don't know about you, but my week starts on a Monday and it finishes on a Friday afternoon. And if I take time out of that busy, inverted commas, business week, I feel incredibly guilty. How do you deal with that? I'm with you. I'm with you, David. Yeah, sometimes I I feel that guilt too. But I've realized if you don't force yourself to take those breaks and take care of things that happen in life, then your body will make you take it. Whether that, you know, stress, uh, getting sick, whatever, whatever your body's going to respond to. So you kind of have to just get over the guilt, I guess. I mean, I, I certainly struggle with that. And especially ramping up to my vacation, I have trouble letting go and, and stopping, right? Disconnecting from the business. <laughs> but I've realized that it's so important to fill your own tank first because you can't serve others if your tank's empty, right? That's a really, really good expression. Fill my tank first, because that's the only way you can give that energy to other people, isn't it? I loved your expression earlier on. You said it's not our job to know everything. Expand on that. Well, I'm, I'm looking at it from a project manager's lens. As project leaders, it's uh, important for us to make sure that our projects are delivering value to our organizations and to our clients. That's, that's the key message. So that doesn't necessarily mean you you need to know everything about everything. It's much more important to surround yourself with experts that can help. So it's more about the leadership side and enabling people and, and helping to remove their barriers so that they can be more effective in their role, that it is about you knowing all the technical things. If you're a new recruit to project management, you've come out of university, you may have had your first job, it wasn't necessarily project management, but was in the construction or engineering industry. What do you think as project managers that are trying to move through the industry, what do you think are the biggest fears at the moment, do you think, for them? You know, I I was asked this question the other day, I actually teach project management at, at the university here, and one of the students asked, you know, do I really have to take on all this responsibility fresh out of school? Um, so I think that that makes a lot of people nervous that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with the role. But when you're fresh out of school, you know, my best advice is to find a position, a job title that's going to help you dive into the technical aspects of project management. So what I mean by that is what we call the triple constraint. So which means scope, schedule and cost, and of course, quality in the middle of that triangle. So 
if those people can find a role that lets them dive into the details of how do we manage cost in my chosen market segments or how do we do the schedule and you know what sort of tools do we have in terms of scope and you dive into the technical your level of responsibility necessarily isn't as high as a project manager right but you're still learning those fundamentals and that's really going to set you up for success i think the thing that people need to remember fresh just starting out is feel free to explore the technical side of project management first get that foundation and then that's going to prepare you for the next step when you're ready So I hope you've enjoyed the first half of my interview with David Wilson on his podcast on another track. I do plan to publish the second half of that interview in the next episode so that you can catch the second half. So stay tuned for that. And I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Take care for now. Are you a project professional who is eager to kickstart your career in project management? Perhaps you've recently completed your education or credential, or maybe you're seeking a career change from a trade or engineering to get into project management. Or even if you're looking for a promotion into a project manager role, and you're looking for some more information on how to reach that next step in your career, then I invite you to join my next live webinar on how to gain a positively unfair advantage in your project management job search. All you need to do is visit kwebinar.com that's K for Kickstarter webinar dot pro collab consulting pro P R O collab C O L L A B consulting dot com to join me on the next live webinar that's coming up. Looking forward to seeing you there.